Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, this is going to be an interesting week, isn't it? The war of words between Boris Johnson and his former chief aide Dominic Cummings has spilled out of the house into the street and is now beginning to empoison the entire neighbourhood and indeed the landscape. There are several questions which we will ask over the course of the morning, but one thing is absolutely clear. The shambolic rows at the heart of government and the constant carping and leaking cannot be good for the way this country is run. And in any case for revenge should be placed firmly to the side of the argument about what is the best thing to do. One thing is certain, however, I warned nearly two years ago that moving his then-girlfriend into number 10 before the ink on his divorce was even dry was a bad idea for a man played with stories about his private life and someone in need of steering Britain through the troubled waters of Brexit. How true my prediction has turned out to be. As usual, how unsurprising. I told you it would all go horribly wrong, but unfortunately, uh, neither did Boris listen to me and neither did the rest of the people out there because it now would appear uh, that he only listens to one voice. We'll be asking the man on Sunday's Dan Hodges why Carrie Simmons seems to think she's got the right to interfere in the way her husband does his job. As he wrote in a paper at the weekend, we do not elect people uh, with their wife. We do not elect people with their fiance. We do not elect people with their husband. We elected Theresa May. Uh, we elected Margaret Thatcher. We elected David Cameron. We even elected Tony Blair. But none of those people had their partners running the country, which apparently seems to be what is the case now. 0344 499 We'll also be checking in uh, with Charlotte Ivers, Talk Radio's political correspondent, to see what the lie of the land is going to be this week and to see precisely what will actually happen. We'll also be checking in with Nick Freeman uh, after the release of shocking crime figures involving the increased use of e-scooters on our streets. Cases of people being run over on pavements, many drunk in charge or on drugs, and even drive-by shootings conducted while e-scooters were used in the getaway. Nick Freeman has been warning about the regulation and the need for regulation of these machines, particularly the private ones. Now we need to know for sure what this government is going to do about that. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Peter Hitchens is here as well with his take on the state we are in right now, including why on earth a member of the Communist Party is still at the heart of those sage decisions and why the Tory Green Revolution is absolute and utter pie in the sky. Plus, we're joined by celebrity chef Tony Buxton, who attended the Freedom March on Saturday. She'll tell us why and what it was like. Plus, promoter Donald McLeod is warning that the music business is under serious threat of not surviving this lockdown. 
that he and a bunch of uh, fellow promoters have written to the Scottish government asking for some kind of roadmap out of here. 0344 499 1000. Also, showbiz correspondent Josh Rom is here as well with a catch up on all the Oscar news from last night. I'm afraid it all might be a little bit too woke for my taste. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, go straight to Charlotte Ivers, Talk Radio's political correspondent, on what promises to be a pretty explosive week in Downing Street. Charlotte, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. It doesn't look um, as though when we thought we were going to have a relatively easy kind of spring into summer scenario, uh, that Boris Johnson would wake up this morning to a, a series of uh, great reports about how, what a good job he's doing and how the vaccine rollout's going. Instead, we've got Boris let the bodies pile high in their thousands, uh, a remark which he's alleged to have made, which has been denied. Um, but it doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't look good. And this is essentially part of a series of self-inflicted wounds by the government. So to put some of this in context, essentially what happened was last week, the government came out and accused Dominic Cummings of leaking information about the Prime Minister's text messages with James Dyson. Then on Friday night, Cummings, Mr Cummings himself, put out a blog post in which he denied these claims, but also made a series of accusations about other people in Downing Street and what their involvement might have been with other leaks, and also some accusations about the Prime Minister himself, including accusations about where the money for his flat refurbishment is coming from. And then today we see this story in the Daily Mail, unsourced, or at least it is anonymous sources telling the Daily Mail this, which says that the Prime Minister said that rather than have a third lockdown, he would rather let the bodies pile up in their thousands. Obviously extremely incendiary language and extremely damaging for him if this report is confirmed. Yes, and the difficulty is, I suppose, Charlotte, that while many people say this is all tittle-tattle, it doesn't matter, it's all about sort of sexism and accusations about Carrie um, being Carrie Antoinette, as I see as a hashtag running currently on Twitter, the bottom line is, is that these are serious allegations. I don't for a minute think that he said, uh, let the bodies pile high in their thousands. I'd be very surprised. However, there are those who say that Dominic Cummings may have recordings of certain things said by the Prime Minister, and if he has a recording of himself saying that, even if it's taken out of context, it is not going to look good for him. It wouldn't look good for him at all. No, uh, Dominic Cummings essentially seems to have been keeping quite extensive records of his time in Downing Street. Some debate as to what these actually look like. Are they written records? Are they just printed out emails? Are they even audio recordings? And some newspapers this morning have been told by friends of Dominic Cummings that he does in fact have extensive audio recordings. Even if he just printed out his computer hard drive or half his email account, I imagine there's a fair bit in there that would be pretty interesting given everything that's happened in the last year. Not necessarily particularly damning for any one person, but think of the rush the government has been in this year. Think of all the things mm. that could have been going on behind closed doors before they were cleaned up and put publicly. It could be 
quite extensive. Well, also, if you think back over the last week or two, I suppose, you know, Sir Keir Starmer's been making accusations about Tory sleaze. They didn't really stick when it came to Greensill. It didn't really stick when it came to David Cameron, particularly because that was all before Boris Johnson's time. The Dyson stuff really didn't cut through much either because it was all about Dyson trying to save other people's lives and also trying to make sure that his employees did not get taxed overly rather than him, him himself. But this, on the other hand, um, is more sort of, you know, grist to the mill, if you like. And it's after a while, as you know, Charlotte, it's never just one thing that gets a prime minister. It's a collection of stuff. Exactly. And as you say, we've been seeing this slow drip feed of this type of story. No real smoking gun just yet. Each story by itself hasn't really pinned any person down, any one person down on wrongdoing. There's just been a general sense that there may have been procedures that should have been followed that weren't followed in some cases. And in many cases, they were followed. It just looks a bit odd. But if some of the stories that Dominic Cummings has spoken about are true, then that would be quite remarkable. That would be very different in nature. I think the first opportunity we'll get to really get a sense of whether there is truth in these stories is later today. Simon Case, a very senior civil servant, will be speaking in front of a parliamentary committee of MPs. He will have been in the room for some of these conversations referenced. He will have been consulted by the Prime Minister on choices such as what to do about his flats. So he is the man first presented with the option of answering some of these questions. Right. And so what happens this week, Charlotte, as far as Boris Johnson is concerned? Because this is going to be something that he's going to have to address one way or another. We know that Cummings supposedly appears before a committee at some point um, in the next maybe week or so. But what are we doing today, tomorrow and Wednesday? Well, I think, first of all, you've got this committee today from Simon Case. Boris Johnson will also be keeping an eye out just in case somebody from the Labour Party puts in an urgent question to him or perhaps one of the Cabinet Office ministers about, for example, the where the money came from for his flat refurbishment. He has, of course, said that he paid for it himself. That hasn't satisfied the Labour Party, though. They have asked the Electoral Commission to investigate further where the money came from. So, for example, was he given the money by someone Mm. and then paid for it himself? It seems that that isn't the case. He was pretty confident in his words. But then Liz Truss, a cabinet minister speaking to the media this weekend, seemed less willing to be very firm on that matter. So potentially we could see Labour trying to haul a minister in front of Parliament as well as trying to get this inquiry done by the Electoral Commission. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the papers have got their own leakers uh, getting different stories from different parts of the argument, really. Uh, The Mail has always been pretty anti-Boris in recent times, I would say. Um, And then funnily enough, when Boris um, leaked out, supposedly the stuff about Cummings being the, being the leaker, as it were, and I know this is a bit internecine for a lot of people listening, it went to the Times, it went to other newspapers, didn't go to the Mail. And I think it's no, uh, it's no accident that Cummings wrote his blog on Friday after being effectively uh, sort of poked by Downing Street and brought into the fray, which seems a remarkably um, careless thing to do, really, from Downing Street's point of view. This is absolutely fascinating as a story. So Cummings' blog post starts with him saying that the person who told the newspapers that he was the leaker was Jack Doyle, the Prime Minister's Director of Communications, Mm. and he did it under the instructions of Boris Johnson. Then he goes on to list his accusations, and as you say, he very much is coming out kicking. I don't think Downing Street will be happy that they involved him and perhaps maybe ruining the decision to involve him in the entire saga. 
Then we read in some of the Sunday newspapers, I think it was the Sunday Times who focused on this, that actually it may not have been Jack Doyle who spoke to the newspapers. It may have been Boris Johnson himself. Mm. That's what we heard from the Sunday papers anyway, which is astonishing. You would have thought that he'd have other things to do, but clearly this is something Downing Street are taking immensely seriously if it is going straight to the top like that. Well, exactly right. And again, um, there's going to be pressure, you would imagine, from inside of Downing Street. I mean, basically, we were told that Boris Johnson didn't want to uh, have to think about firing Henry Newman, uh, one of his aides, on the basis that he was a good friend of Carrie's, and that could cause a problem. I mean, surely at some point, you know, she's going to have to take a step back, isn't she? Well, this is something that Downing Street aides are absolutely denying and pushing back on. So the story behind this is that Boris Johnson launched an investigation into who it was who leaked the announcement of the second lockdown. You remember that got leaked to the newspapers and you had this hurried situation where Johnson had to bring his press conference forward. It really did change the speed of government policy. So there's this leak investigation going on. Some rumours had been flying around that Dominic Cummings was behind these leaks. And so part of his pushback on these accusations of leaking on Friday night was for him to say, no, it wasn't me. And also, I heard internally that the finger of Brett Blaine was starting to point at Henry Newman, one of the deputy chiefs of staff. And what he says, which is most incendiary, is I said to Boris Johnson that this needs to continue we need to carry on with the inquiry wherever it leads and johnson said no i'm really concerned about this is there any chance we can stop the inquiry because it's leading to henry newman who is one of carrie's best friends and that could cause me real problems now of course people in downing street are pushing back on this it's a very incendiary allegation but cummings is absolutely firm he says that's what he saw so this is not a fight that's going away. No, it really is quite fascinating. Charlotte, thank you so much for talking to us. Charlotte Ivers, uh, Talk Radio's political correspondent. I think she's going to be quite busy this week, uh, tracking all the ins and outs and wherefores and whys and everything else. Let's talk now to Dan Hodges, Mail on Sunday commentator, who wrote yesterday, uh, Boris Johnson's government is eating itself alive. He needs to decide what he cares about more, his fiance or his country. Dan, a very good morning to you. Morning. Well, I mean, uh, this is quite a story, isn't it? I mean, we we keep hearing from various different corners of the uh, of the situation that this is not a story. Uh, this is absolute tittle tattle. It's got nothing to do with the running of government. I disagree. I'm with you. I think it's got everything to do with the running of government. It, it absolutely has, and I can understand why elements of it may seem a bit obscure. Uh, to people who are going around their ordinary working lives, but it is important because, as you say, it's about it's about the people who govern us. It's about people at the most senior levels who govern us. And frankly, as I, as I said in my column, if, if they are all fighting like rats in a sack, then ultimately we are all going to pay a price for that. Well, I think that's right. And this phrase on the front of the mail this morning, which has been anti-Boris for some time, and I'd, I'd welcome your thoughts on that aside from anything else, but let the bodies pile high in their thousands. I can't imagine him actually saying that unless it was something that's been taken wildly out of context. Well, I think context is all. I've got to be honest, I can imagine him saying something like that. I mean, yeah, the, we're told the context of the. I think one of the things that's been missed in relation to this is whilst there is the focus on him saying, I will let the bodies pile as high as they have to, but I will never again introduce another lockdown. Mm. Obviously, as we know, he did, yes. in fact, use another lockdown. Similarly, that my understanding is that quote was given in the context of when he was he was either being pressured to or had just been pressured to 
introduce the second lockdown, the famous circuit breaker lockdown. Mm. Now, I can easily see, given the given the pressures of the role, the pressures of the moment, having lost internally the argument within government against introducing a second lockdown and a circuit breaker lockdown. Is this the November one I we're see, talking about? Sorry, yeah. yeah. Can I can I see Boris sitting there saying, "Okay, but I'm you know if the bodies are piling high, I'm never doing this again." In an exasperated private moment, yeah, I can see him saying that actually. Okay. I mean, I, I, and, and 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 because equally, there is the other side of this that I think we have to put across. Either he did say that, or there is someone, a very senior source or a very senior former government source, who was just completely made that up. So what Boris is going to have to answer in relation to this is either he said the comment. Or he employed someone at a very senior level in his government for an extended period of time who is basically a deranged fantasist. Either way, that doesn't reflect very well on Boris himself. No, it doesn't. But I mean, looking at the the makeup of Downing Street currently and the way that it seems to be being run, and I've spoken to people, as I'm sure you have, who've been in and out of that place over the past couple of years. Um, and the sense I've been given is that it's a rather chaotic organisation, that there are people in there uh, who come and go. There are people who go away and come back. There are people who stay there constantly. There are people who move around and do whatever they want. There are other people who are too frightened to do what they should be doing. Um, and it all seems to be a bit like the court of the Sun King. Well, to be perfectly honest, I think the big problem is there doesn't seem to be a king in there at all at the moment. Well, there is. You know, his I mean, name's Carrie. Well, I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, the, all, we have, all Downing Streets are dysfunctional. You know, as somebody once said to me who used to work in Downing Street, what people forget is Downing Street is a very big place. Yeah. There are a lot of, it's a small building, but there are a lot of people in there all with competing issues, all with competing agendas, all competing to get the ear of the ear of the prime minister. So we shouldn't pretend that dysfunctionality is is, is unique to Boris and his government. But what I do think, what I think that you know, the crucial thing that is that is being missed in this, we are not out of the woods yet. We are a country still in the middle of lockdown, still in the middle of a global pandemic. Still having well, to we're deal not with, in a pandemic, according to well, uh, but still, ha- or, or, but we're still having to deal with the economic impact of 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 of, of, of government policy. Yeah, of and, government you know, policy, not of COVID. The though. fact that in the midst of all this, I mean, we had Ben Wallace coming out uh, this this morning, attacking the media, dismissing all the all this as gossip, saying how the prime minister is solely focused on 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 dealing with the, the important issues facing the country and that we're all you and i and everyone else are engaged in tip tattle the prime minister is not sadly solely focused on the important matters within government no because we know last thursday evening the prime minister took up took it on, on, on himself to personally pick up the phone to selected journalists to brief them aggressively against his former most senior advisor. Yeah, which was very unwise, in my view. It's insane, politically. Yeah. But was clearly, I mean, people have been saying, why politically did he do that? He didn't do it because it was a political act. He did it because it was an emotional act. And it's an indication of what the mood is in Downing Street at the moment, what the Prime Minister's mood is, and how the government is running the country. And as I said, 
it's not a good look, to put it mildly. Well, no, exactly. But also the main tenet of your piece yesterday was that Carrie uh, was not elected, that we don't elect the spouse and or the fiancé and or the girlfriend stroke boyfriend of whoever happens to be sitting uh, in the big chair. Um, and that is a massive problem for him because clearly she has far more influence than she should have, not only over him, but over the people that he appoints, the people around him, the people that she tells him to fire. And this is not a healthy situation at all. And in the end, you know, what you have to say, Dan, surely, is that Somebody needs to tell him to tell her um, to take a step out of the room, don't they? Well, exactly. Well, I, I would actually advocate two things, one of two, one of two approaches. Carrie and her allies are constantly telling us, as a justification for the influence she exerts within government, that she is a professional political operator in her own own right. She's a seasoned political operator. She's an expert at this sort of stuff. I think a line has been used: if she wasn't his partner, she'd be working in government anyway. Fine. If she's that good, give her a job. Yeah. Give her a job in government. Then she can abide by the same rules as everybody else who works in government. She can have the same scrutiny as everybody else who works in government. She can have a line manager just like anybody else who works in government. Yeah, absolutely or, right. If she doesn't want to do that, fine. But then, as you say, she's got to back off. Yeah. We cannot have a situation, the situation, a continuation of the situation where we've got someone in there who feels it is their, the, a prime minister's partner who feels it's their role their job to have a role in ministerial appointments, a role in staffing appointments, a role in policy, a role in the strategic direction of, of, of the government to establish their own personal network of advisors who are their friends within government and to establish their, their own independent communications operation uh, in which they brief government, uh, they brief journalists on what are her priorities and her agenda rather than the government government's agenda. Mm. Two final questions for you, Dan. Do you see the hand of Michael Gove in any of this? And two, does this help Labour in any way whatsoever in terms of elections? Because those are the two questions, I suppose, the two motivations that could possibly be afoot here. Well, you know, I, I, I like Michael. I see the hand of Michael Gove in everything that happens in, that happens in, in government. Mm. Um, uh, obviously, one of Michael Gove's former advisers, Henry Newman, is at the, is, is at the heart of the current current fracas um he was actually a, there was a time when he was also a close um a close ally of carrie simons i i, I think to be honest though if, if i was going to you know we've talked about carrie we're talking about michael we're talking about various advisors at the end of the day the buck stops with boris yeah it's his government you know he's the person ultimately who is going to have to take responsibility for this and as i said you know th this is stuff that it hasn't just happened overnight you know, you and I both know we've been talking about all this stuff. Well, I first wrote about Carrie's influence whilst we were still in the middle of the Tory leadership election yeah. campaign. And I said back then, unless unless Boris chooses between his fiance and what was then his core campaign team, he's going to have problems. And I said he can't take this into 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 government. Well, that's what he did. And we can now see that the yeah. result. Yeah, it's not good. Dan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. Dan Hodges, Man on Sunday commentator. I also said a couple of years ago uh, that it was a bad idea for Kerry to move into Downing Street with Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. 
Not because, you know, she was not the right person for the uh, the role, not because uh, she wasn't married to him. People said, oh, why are you being so sexist? It's nothing to do with whether she was married to him or not. It's to do with the fact that he was coming out of a divorce, a rather messy divorce, which has cost him an awful lot of money. Um, he was supposed to be leading the country through Brexit and out of the European Union. What he didn't need was a distraction uh, of somebody who was clearly a much younger woman uh, who at that time wasn't pregnant, but has now since had a child and is now sitting in Downing Street as if she rules the roost. And that, as Dan Hodges says, entirely wrong. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Scarcely know where to begin today with Peter, but time to say a very good morning. Peter Hitchens is here. Peter, very good morning to you. Morning. I mean, I do kind of scarcely know where to begin because while um, there are many who say, oh, it's all tittle-tattle, it doesn't matter about the Prime Minister's uh, bedroom habits, it doesn't matter about his wallpaper, it doesn't matter what furniture he buys, well, I'm afraid it does matter because I'm beginning to wonder, uh, as I know you've been saying for quite some time, just how much of a buffoon Boris is. Well, it, it matters very little to me what sort of sofa he sits on and all the rest of it. Uh, it what does matter is because when, when governments run out of steam or don't have any real purpose, uh, then this sort of thing begins to take over. It, yeah. it, it's, it's fundamentally, it's, it's personal struggles between people uh, becoming public because that's the way they find to get revenge on each other. I'm astonished at the indiscipline of them, actually. One of the things that was, that was one of the great successes of the, the Blair regime was that they managed for most of the time to squash stupid disputes at this time and yeah. stop people saying oh well they can't even they can't even control themselves yeah and it, it, you would have thought people would have learned from it it's just incompetence mm. I, I don't think it has any political significance but the, the, the country is run uh, by and large on principles with which i disagree by people who either have strong views which i disagree with or have have adopted uh, such views to get into office the first lot, of course, were the, the Blairite Labour Party, who were, in my view, more or less Euro-communists. And then the Conservative Party, particularly after the David Cameron takeover, which, although it didn't either believe or understand much of what it adopted, decided that it would adopt Blairite positions, uh, basically on sex, drugs and rock and roll, mm. to get the approval of the BBC and the media and academic establishment, and so make itself uh, electable again which it wasn't as long as it even had the slightest traces of conservatism left in it. No. That's what we have. We have a, basically a, a new Labour government composed of people who aren't actually Blairites. Mm. And you've always uh, been of that opinion, rather than what I would, would have always said, which was they tried to sort of make out that there was very little difference between Cameron and Blair, that really um, there was a sort of centrist approach that they'd come towards in which basically they wanted people to become disinterested in politics because they didn't appear to have any firm convictions about anything. But I know you famously said that actually what was going on beneath the waterline was much more interesting. Well, yes, it's the, it's the classic swan, isn't it, which glides along the surface while its feet are paddling frantically underneath mm. and the certainly new labor was full of people who were paddling frantically underneath for for, for very very serious objectives uh, peter hyman one of, once one of blair's closest aides came out with this and pointed out that in in his view as one of them they were far more radical for instance than jeremy corbyn yeah. far more revolutionary. and I, I i had an old friend who died recently philip bassett who told me much the same thing mm. uh, when he went off to work for them and abandoned journalism and it seemed to me to be pretty obvious looking at them. And so many of the leading characters in, in, in New Labour were, in fact, people who had been, like me, Marxist revolutionaries in the 60s and 70s. 
but had not like me renounced that and uh, at any stage and had, had transferred their revolutionary fervor into a much cleverer approach and mm. this is what people don't understand about the left the left doesn't uh, does, doesn't just take defeats and go away and say sorry we were beaten when the left is defeated or thwarted or, or when it fails it goes and thinks again about how to approach things and what came about in the 60s and afterwards and the, after the collapse of the Soviet experiment was a completely new form of, of revolutionary Marxism, which is all about culture and sex and, uh, and education and broadcasting and controlling all the areas which influence the way people behave. Uh, indeed, you might call it behavioral psychology, if you like. Yes. Which brings us... Well, I was going to say, brings us rather nicely to Ms. Uh, Michi. Well, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it may be Mickey, but I, I'll, I'll fall in with... Well, I mean, like. Mickey sounds like it could be more humorous. Well, doesn't it, yeah. <laughs> I don't think she's very funny, sadly. <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I, what I loved about when I looked into her was that my favourite story was that she was so hardline. She still is. She comes from that branch of the of, of British communism, which is very pro-Soviet. She was so hardline that uh, the, when there was a row inside the, the Communist Party when it still existed as such... Uh, she was. Uh, she had her pram searched at his conference right. by her fellow yes, comrades, that, yeah. who were looking under the baby for hardline literature, which they feared she was smuggling in. Uh, that that I I think a lot of people misinterpreted why I put that in. I was just trying to illustrate, first of all, how ridiculous left wing politics yes. can be, right. and also how how very much she was on the side of hardline, unreconstructed communism right. and. It comes from what you might call communist aristocracy. Her parents were very, very highly placed in the in the intellectual left of the of the Cold War period and before that. And it all stretches back right into the the nineteen thirties. And these people are very serious about wanting to change the world. Yeah, I respect that. I don't. You know, I've got I've got no problem with people wanting to change the world as, as long as they're open about what they want to do, and as long as they stick to uh, civilized methods in doing it. But the problem is, anybody who thinks that they're they're going to transform the world into a paradise. It tends to get the idea that their ideas are so good and so important yes. that anybody opposes them is not just wrong but bad and mm. has to be eliminated. And you made that point in your piece about this green revolution because everything this week seems to be feeding into the same narrative, Peter, because I've, I've like you, for a long time, been questioning this kind of um, ludicrous language that gets used, and it gets used by journalists, much to my chagrin, uh, on the BBC and on Sky, where they talk about, well, of course, we must eat less meat, and, of course, we'll have to fly less, we'll have to get used to travelling uh, in cars less. And I'm kind of going, sorry... Um, when did when did we become the royal we, and when did you become the man that told us what we should be doing? Well, the, the BBC, for a start, made a specific decision that it wasn't going to treat opponents of the green dogma with any with, with any courtesy or fairness mm. anymore some time ago, and it doesn't. Uh, and it's pointless actually trying to argue about it. The, the green dogma has has become uh, for really for the for the educated middle classes of Britain the nearest they get to a religion. Now, I, I find this particularly fascinating. I, I, I've always been what would broadly be described as an environmentalist. I prefer railways to roads. I hated the destruction of the country to, to make way for the motor car, which took place during my childhood and early teens. I still do. I, I'm, I, I, I hate to see a tree cut down. I'm, complete, I'm as green as you can be in terms of the practicalities of, of immediate life and any policy I can see. 
Uh, so it, I, I can't really be characterized as someone who wants the oil companies to take over the world and, and turn everything into a, into a vast oil field producing huge amounts of pollution and destroying the atmosphere. Yes. But the problem with the, the policies which are being embraced by the current government is that their practical effects on their own terms is, is non-existent. If you've closed down all the coal-fired power stations in Britain, which we more or less have done, uh, while... China and India are ceaselessly building new coal-fired power stations. And China has more coal-fired power stations than we have power stations. Right. It's, it's, it's a, then the effect of our closing down our coal-fired power stations is very great on us because it, it, it actually weakens our power generation system in important ways and makes us more and more dependent on foreign power. But it has absolutely no effect on the state of the atmosphere. So even if you believe the green dogma that the, 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 the power stations are... Uh, coal-fired power stations are causing uh, global warming, uh, then what we've done has been less than useless. Yes, And exactly. that, that, that's the point. And now the next thing, and we've run out, that was quite easy to do because it, closing down coal-fired power stations doesn't in most cases have a huge immediate effect. And you can find, you can import nuclear electricity from France or indeed coal-fired electricity from the Netherlands, which I, I believe we still do. Uh, and, and so you carry on having the power. Uh, but you, if you want to move on to the next stage and, and fulfill the extremely r rigorous targets which the government has set itself and has legally bound itself to follow, the next thing comes is gas. Mm. And an awful lot of electricity is generated by gas. And a huge amount of, of, of home heating and home water heating is done by gas as well. And when they start having to have a go at that, then the impact on people's personal lives in, in cost and inconvenience is going to be very big as it is when they start telling us that we can't eat the diet that we've had up till now. Yes. But this will happen bit by bit, and people say, how on earth did we reach this? Just as people look at their their power bills and say, why are they so high? Yeah. And part of the reason why they're so high is that they're full of green levies, uh, which are not very heavily publicized, but that's a very large proportion of your of your power bill. I forget what it is now, but it's it's not small. No, it's and, not. And no, and, we're one of the, and we're also one of the few countries that levies it as well. I'm sorry, I, I, I talked over you there. What, sorry, I'm uh, just saying we're one of the few countries that levies it, rather like the the the, the, the flying bill that we get given, uh, which is supposed to be a green tax when you fly. Hardly any other country puts that on a flight uh, cost, but we do. I'm not sure of the... Uh, it's certainly, we, we have been uh, from, from not uh, quite a long time ago uh, very, very determined to implement these things. And indeed, if it, if it was, if, if it is a cause as good as it's its supporters claim, then this would be perfectly reasonable. Mm. But if, if people also understood when these things were announced what they would mean for their lives, what concerns me is that people don't really understand it. And when it eventually begins to show its full effects, they'll wonder how it was they agreed to it. But there's so little debate on it. When the, the Green thing was originally debated in Parliament, I think two members of Parliament voted against the, the the provisions which mm. we're now living under. There's two, I think, uh, more than 600, which really doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't make it possible to have a serious debate. And I think that anybody who has any doubts about this is more or less unrepresented in politics and most of the media. Yes. Uh, so one has to try to do it. But if you if you start arguing about the principles of it, then you, so you might as well build yourself a guillotine. Stick your head in the hole and let the blade go. It's, there's no point. It's not. There's, there's no. There's no winning to be done here. There's no debate to be had. You're just a heretic who has to be eliminated and abused. Yes. Even saying, "Well, I've just said I'll get that," but I, I, I'd be very careful 
uh, not to say anything heretical. So, which just goes to show that even that won't help you against these people. Well, it won't. But it's a sort of depressing thought that this um, this this process has taken over practically every aspect now of public life, of debate, uh, of any kind. You know, the word denier is now brought in uh, to 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 cover COVID, to cover the environment, to cover green energy, uh, to cover all manner of different things. If you don't believe uh, that there are you know four million people living in poverty in Britain, you know you're some kind of cruel, ghastly Victorian you know sort of um, mine owner and pit owner and wants to just drive everybody back to the way it was in the Victorian times. There's no nuance left anymore. Well, that's correct. But it, I call it marshmallow totalitarianism. The, the, it is, in, in fact, very difficult to express dissenting opinions. And if you do, uh, they don't spread. You, you, you can hurl, it's like hurling a stone into a pond and there's a splash and then, then the water closes over it and Nothing ever happens as a result. You're, the, you're ignored, and also you're marked down uh, for, for later exclusion or mockery or denunciation or misrepresentation in some way, and who knows how that will be. And this obviously, this inhibits and frightens people out of getting engaged in these debates, and bit by bit, uh, we become more and more a, a society in which only one set of ideas is, is acceptable, which is, I might say, this, the sort of thing which revolutionary Marxists uh, set out yes. to do. No need for a, a vast KGB or a Gulag archipelago to enforce this, uh, because the Cultural Revolution has been so successful, and because these ideas have become so dominant in the schools and in the universities and in the television studios and in many newspaper offices, uh, there is basically nowhere where opposition can be expressed where it will actually threaten the status quo. So that's it. I, people like me, people, someone will point out, well, here you are, you have a column on a, on a national newspaper and here you are on a national radio station. So that's true. Uh, but it, it, once I've said this, as I say, the waters will close over it and the yeah. places will get no more and nothing will happen. No one will reply rationally is what I say. <laughs> you have a case, let's argue it. Right. What will happen is that somebody will abuse me hmm. uh, and call me, as you rightly say, a denier, and that will be the end of it. Yes. Bit by, but there like was a time, wasn't it. there, sort of middle of last year, Peter, when, when people started to pick up on what you'd been saying to us and maybe asking you to be on the BBC again, which you said to me you hadn't done for a long time. Has that stopped again now? I think I, I think there are still one or two. I say probably more than one or two. There are still, there are still quite a few civilized, open-minded people in the BBC. But I think the BBC, as an organisation, has in the past three or four years moved very, very sharply uh, towards a number of positions: the third wave feminism, totally intolerant greenery, uh, COVID fanaticism, and zealotry, mm. uh, and it. It, it's, it also one finds it's, it, it's, it has extraordinarily hardline positions on uh, on the the sort of propaganda which might lead us to war with Syria uh, or Russia, mm. uh, and it's it's becoming increasingly monolithic organisation in which those who uphold its old standards of impartiality are again increasingly isolated. So they don't exist, or that I'll never get on again. But it, it's a noticeably narrower. A world in which to operate and notice. And I, I hear stories from people in the BBC who are reasonably friendly to me about how discussions came out about whether I should present a particular Radio 4 programme from time to time. And the, the answer was a horrified no mm. without any discussion. 
So this happens. Uh, I know it happens. And, and that uh, itself is extraordinary, isn't it, really? Because... It, it ought to be, but it isn't. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's what I've learned to expect. Yeah, because one thing that happened at the weekend, and we're going to be speaking to Tony Buxton coming up shortly, who was actually at the Freedom March. I'm not a marcher particularly. I know you used to do a bit of it uh, back in your days of, uh, of revolution. But, I mean, it's incredible, is it not, that a march with as many people as were marching, and, and the, the, the estimates are anywhere from 20,000 on the low side to 500,000 on the, on the other end of it, um, that the BBC rarely covers anything like that if it's a march about something they don't agree with. Well, it, it does to some extent depend on size, but you, you must contrast that, of course, with the way in which the BBC gives, gives very considerable publicity to the Alexei Navalny movement in, in, mm. in Russia. If they gave equivalent publicity to, to movements of the same size and nature in this country, then it, it would be interesting. But they don't. Also, the other thing is they're very uncritical of Mr. Navalny, who, if he lived in Britain, would be uh, much disliked by Guardian readers, particularly for his, his unpleasant statements about uh, the inhabitants of the Caucasus region, right. and, uh, remarks which people might look at, which, would, which, would, which, which put him certainly well to the right of, um, of, of UKIP, let's right. say. Because of his, because of the extraordinary uh, attitude towards Russia of our what, what I would call our liberal elite, uh, his his offences against liberalism are overlooked because he is an opponent of, of, of the Putin regime. Yes, and that in itself again is is remarkable. But I mean, you know, it seems to me, and I mean, you and I have been in journalism roughly the same amount of time. That journalism isn't even journalism anymore. You know, there are very few people who question things. There are very few people who wish to question things, and they don't seem to even want to challenge their own bosses nowadays. Well, I don't know. I, I think that there have been there have been huge changes in, in how many of them have been driven by technology. Some of them have been driven by falling circulations. Uh, some of them, but most of all, I think they've been driven by the education system from which journalists emerge, in which people are over and over again taught what to think, but not how to think. And I still say that when I was growing up, we were still taught very much more uh, to question things and taught how to think and how to reason and how, and how to doubt. Mm. We, were, we, were, we were taught that doubt was good. To some extent, it's a, as so many things are, it's the result of the end of the Cold War. As long as the Cold War was going on, it was a fight for freedom. It was very difficult for the governments of the Western countries, which are on the side of freedom, to, to suppress it or discourage it in their own countries. But now that's over, that's gone, hasn't it? And the embarrassment that governments used to be made to feel when they behaved in repressive ways or intolerant ways or, 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 or ways which threatened freedom, that embarrassment can no longer be visited on them because they're not on the side of freedom anymore, really, are they? Well, you made the point in your piece, I think, on Sunday about the football debate that uh, wasn't ah. remarkable how quickly that that kind of pivoted around because people actually got worked up about it. Well, it's, it, I, I, I should never understand my own country. I, it, people are put under house arrest, uh, threatened with the economic ruin and, uh, and, and wild inflation, uh, deprived of their jobs and their businesses, and they, all they do is they go and have a drink in, in their back gardens and, uh, and forget about it. Mm. But if somebody suggests that football should be commercially reorganised, the entire country rises in revolt from the royal family <laughs> to, the, to the back streets of Blackburn and, uh, and the thing is overturned. I, if this is, if, if these are obviously, people obviously have different priorities for me. 
I should learn to live with that, I suppose. Well, I suppose so, but it does tell you, doesn't it, that um, uh, when they say you can't fool all of the people all the time, maybe you can, um, and maybe that's oh. what's going on. But, but I mean, the only thing I think that I can hold on to as, as we end this and grip on to with grim, uh, grim determination is that I still don't think the people in Downing Street know what they're doing. Therefore, if they don't know what they're doing, there's a chance that we can stop them doing whatever it is they want to do next. Well, I don't know. Maybe they do know what they're doing. It isn't very nice. Uh, remember, I, we're talking about Susan Mickey or Mitchie or whatever yeah. it is. Um, but there's another very prominent, very left-wing person high in the guts of government, Munira Mirza, who's, mm. who's, who's one of Mr. Johnson's closest advisors. Uh, and the, 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 people should understand more and more. I, Maynard Keynes, the great economist, said long ago that if ever any politician said he, he didn't have any ideology, he was invariably the slave of some defunct economist. Mm. Politicians are often influenced by ideas they barely know or understand. Uh, the government that we have now is, uh, is, is much more ideological than it, it, it itself understands, is making much more radical changes to the country than it itself understands. And as a result, uh, it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's wildly distant from the old form of parliamentary government we used to have, yeah. which government tested two or three times a week in parliamentary debate and with serious opposition. It doesn't get, there is no proper parliamentary opposition. No. So whatever dissent is going to be, is going to be, is going to be elite dissent in the, in the, in the, the small stairways and, and, and back rooms of actual, of actual hands-on government. And I would much prefer our dissent to, take place in our elected parliament than in these back rooms. But yes, frankly, but, my, but, but my, your heart my, sinks, doesn't, doesn't it? I mean, I was listening... Also, when, listening. When, all, when all power is concentrated in the government, and mm. there is so little opposition, then, of course, the, all, all there's going to be is is squabbling about who has power over what, and and, and, and also the personal squabbling of the kind which we see. It's a, it's a symptom, I think, of, of a decay of what was formerly rather an effective parliamentary democracy. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I was listening last night uh, as I was driving back up to London to a, a radio show in which they said, oh, yes, the Labour Party will be asking for an urgent question to be tabled about the, uh, you know, the furnishings of the Prime Minister's um, flat above 11 Downing Street. And I just thought, well, it matters not because the question may well be granted. It may well be put, but it won't be answered. And then we'll move on. Yes, but also, I, it, how is one supposed to identify with anybody in a stroll between Carrie Simmons and Dominic Cummings? I, I, I don't wish to take sides in, in, in that sort of battle, <laughs> if that is the battle which is taking place. It doesn't interest me. I'm, I'm interested in, in, in how the country is run, how the schools are run, how they, uh, what's, what help we give to the married family, what our foreign policy is, uh, whether we defend ourselves properly. These are things which mm. interest me. None of them will be solved. Uh, by worrying about whether somebody called Lulu has decorated the Prime Minister's sofa correctly. That's true. However, unfortunately, the two people who have last most recently run the government have been both uh, Dominic Cummings and Carrie Simmons. Well, I guess that answers your question. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense, the only place to listen to proper news because nobody else does it the way we do it. And just to prove that, uh, we have a great guest here with us in the studio, Tony Buxton, celebrity chef. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming in. I'm so happy because we can now get people properly back into the studios, which we haven't been able to do for a while. So much nicer to actually be here speaking to you. Isn't it? I mean, we last saw you when we opened the pubs uh, down in the Horseshoe. You brought some lovely muffins. She's brought more muffins, by the way. I cannot tell you how great these are. Uh, They all got eaten the last time what's now what are these, these what kind are, are they banana banana date walnuts spiced banana with cinnamon but i know like the only reason you have me in is for my muffins it's not true. for my pithy comments it's very true now i like the pithy comments as well i mean <laughs> you have the whole uh, the whole shooting batch going on there now you were at the freedom march on saturday I was. one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about and have you in to talk about is why it is that you know we have this ridiculous media in this country where hardly anybody pays any attention to the kind of march that thousands of people and i'm i have no idea how many were there but it looked to me like it was a, a couple of hundred thousand i mean i think- I think, I think I think it's actually more than that. Yeah. Um, Could have been. I, I, mean, I mean, I stood back for a while and for a very long time and watched people march past. I don't think it's less than 500,000. Yeah. I don't think so. Right. Certainly people who have been on, who were on the anti-Iraq war march yes, say it, it was, was very about similar. as big as that. It felt very similar to that. Yeah, yeah and it absolutely. looks amazing when you see the, I mean, I know you posted some footage. The, yeah. the thing I saw, which I loved, was this people walking down um, that singing the Bob Marley song, yeah. which looked tremendous. It just looked like great fun. It, it was fun, but also um, my heart literally contracted a lot of the times. So I saw um, one young man carrying a placard saying, um, lockdown killed my mum. Right. And um, I ended up talking to him a little bit and she couldn't get treatment. And so she died. Uh, there was another couple um, about the same age as my parents. And I talk about it now, I get really emotional because um, lockdown took my son and mm. I ended up talking to them. I don't yeah. know why I'm getting so upset now, but I am. No, but you do, because, um, because you're a human said, being. They said that he'd lost his business, he couldn't get any money, he wasn't working, and he committed suicide. Yeah. And and then you have to deal with people calling us these vile names. Don Jolly used the C word yeah. on people or on the march. To these parents that have lost their son, this man thinks it's fine yeah. to say that. You know, people, we all want the same thing. Mm. We all want to live life in a, in a good and healthy way yeah. and have freedoms and, 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 and live an open, free life. And yet anybody who turned up at that lockdown, if you look at most of the media, most of the celebrities out there, they're calling us these rancid names. Yeah. What, what, why? Why is it so mean and horrible and well, rude? A lot, the, a lot of these celebrities, I'm afraid, are, have not learned the lesson that they should have learned from what happened in America. Do you remember when all those celebrities endorsed Hillary Clinton? Yeah. Oh. And look what happened to her. Exactly. Because they have no clue. And I mean, the likes of Dom Jolly, who, quite frankly, uh, I had a Twitter spat with uh, a while ago, a couple of years ago, I think now. And uh, he said to me, who are you? Who are you anyway? I said, I'm the guy that's got a job. 
Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. Because Dom Dolly hasn't done anything for a very long no. time. But he's bitter, he's twisted, he's got this kind of superior attitude that a lot of these people seem to have because he's all right, Jack, and he's got a laptop, he can work from home. Yeah. An awful lot of these people who are out there demonstrating for their own freedoms need to get out there and work. But, you know, as I said to you the last time, you know, my mother-in-law, she's, uh, for listening, Sophie, hello. Um, she is going into hospital today, she needs a blood transfusion, she... Uh, could not get a face-to-face with her doctor. She Mm. was having these stupid call consultations. Her GP didn't see her for months and months and months. And eventually now she's, you know, undergoing treatment for stage four cancer. Um, And this would not have happened had it not been for lockdown. My children are home and I'm watching my teenagers who are quite anyway, withdraw and withdraw and withdraw. And I feel like I have to watch because I'm so worried. So I'm not doing it because I want to open a, go to a restaurant or go for a, pint i mean what's wrong with these people I know. don't they see that people are really suffering and harming and actually the cure of lockdown for covid is is much much worse and for a for a virus that i'm not worried i had it my whole we all had it last mm, march right. and my husband had it quite bad i ended up calling 911 or yeah. and finding out because i was quite worried about his breathing but you know he's fit and he's healthy and we got through it the girls are still suffering um with funny tastes and funny smells yes so we all had it but it, it didn't kill us it, it but, yeah, but what, also it but, doesn't mean that you're not aware of the fact that exactly, it's there i'm not denying you're not saying there is no covid absolutely and of not. course there will be some people on those kinds of marches who will say those kinds of things but that's because it's a pretty broad church in yeah. the same way um that people in government you know are now wasting everybody's time choosing wallpaper and choosing oh. cushions and you know getting stuff made of rattan which is all very i thought you just put bread in that i didn't know you made chairs <laughs> yeah. out of it, you know but the point is is that you know yeah. you cannot put everybody in one basket and say that's what they all think and the point about other people that have annoyed me this weekend say, well, well, why are all these idiots marching around about lockdown? We're out of lockdown. Well, we're not, actually. We're not. We're Can't go anywhere. I want to see my mother, who's yeah. 97 years of age, lives in Connecticut. No doubt Dom Jolly would say, well, that's her fault. Well, it's not, actually. I'd love to go. I spoke yeah. to her yesterday. You know, she's desperate to see me. I haven't seen her for nearly two years because I can't go there. No, we're, just, you know, we're definitely not out of lockdown. And and the part of the Freedom March was that we never must go into a lockdown again. Right. There is no proof that lockdowns make any difference. No. I mean, I think, what is it on average? You know, 150 people die per 100,000 per head. And that's what's happened everywhere, yes. whether you lock down, whether you don't. Yes. And so people that are kind of pushing for lockdowns all the time, they don't work. Right. They make absolutely no difference. It's a virus. Yes. And, and it's and, interesting as well how they treat it in this, uh, in this country, again, in the media, where uh, because it's not a terrible situation in in the UK now they're leading the news with India now it's horrible to look at it looks ghastly and terrible and tragic and all of that but you know I was looking at this at the weekend on an any average day in of of of, of any average year in India, twenty seven and a half thousand people die every yeah, a day. day, and a thousand of those a thousand children die a day yeah. from starvation. Right. Okay. So before you start jumping up and down about covid why, why don't you feed those children yes. why don't you why where's the indignation there what about mm. tb how yeah. many people die of tb in india right. every single day well people who know india better than i do and i know it reasonably well i've been there a few times you know the point is is that you know there are people dying outside of hospitals all the time as well because they've got a very populous population absolutely they've got lots of people living very close together they've got a lot of poor people mm-hmm. you know and of course we should help them and i'm very glad the government is helping them but let's not get you know this grief 
tourism that we seem to get involved with from but the BBC. What I want to understand is why are the, the mainstream media trying to frighten us all the time? Yeah. Why are they not letting us get on with our lives? Why are they have these constant advertising campaigns? Even on this radio station, mm. you hear yeah, things... Yeah, we have them. You, you know, have people to, I mean, complain to me all the time. I, know, I can't do much about it. No, but I understand that you need money. And that the point is, is that the government are paying all this money on mm. advertising to keep people frightened. And the psychological damage that they're doing, like this, one, this couple that I saw on the march... Mm. Lockdown took our son. Now yeah. their son died, with whether because the psychological frightening and the loss of his business, and and we're not talking about anything like no. that, and and we're only talking about this illness, not all the damage that's being done from it. And we have to have open conversations without the name calling. Yes. I, I've, I mean, I, I can't get over what Dom Jolly wrote about yeah. about people that were on the march. Right. I mean, it's it's so rude, it's so unpleasant, and it's so unnecessary. It really doesn't need to be, to be the case at all, because as you say, everybody in the end, I think, wants to be out of it. Yeah. But of course, I think the trouble is, because of Brexit, I hate to say it, We've become this divided nation mm -hmm. where people who have never really got over the fact that actually the popular vote was was the one that they didn't like. Yeah. Um, they want to think that everybody who did that, and I'm not one of them, by the way, um, is somehow more uh, intellectually stupid. Yeah. You know, that you're somehow racist an idiot, you're racist, and, yeah, you don't absolutely. know what you're doing. Yeah. This is why you're walking around in London. Yeah. You know, let's see whether there's a huge spike in COVID uh, uh, infections because of what happened on Saturday. I very much doubt it. It won't happen because it didn't happen after BML, Extinction Rebellion. It didn't happen when kids went back to school. It's, yeah. it's, it's rubbish. It doesn't happen. And it doesn't matter how much they want to sprout it, it doesn't happen. Mm. But the big thing is, Mike, is there are a lot of people making a lot of money out of there lockdown. Are. And that's the worry. And it's not the common person. It's not the guy that's got the independent cafe or the guy whose shop hasn't been open all these times. Mm. It's the big, big, rich, powerful people. And they're pulling the strings. Yeah. And that's Well, I'm going to be talking in the next house of Donald McLeod, a good friend of mine who's promoting a music promoter in Scotland because in Scotland they don't even yet have a way out uh, for live music for the nighttime economy you know it's all very well I mean as you know the, the restaurant business is on its knees it is and people are allowed to go and eat now but you still have to sit outside why you know well I'm going to mention them the real Greek are doing everything they can they're putting tables outside which we're having to buy extra heaters I mean yeah. this extra cost for heaters is incredible yeah I'm sure um, and, but you still have to keep the same staff in the kitchen so yeah. it's not that cost it's not cost effective mm. but we want to get started we want to get people back into jobs because what we're finding is a lot of our staff when they were on furlough were really depressed yeah. and really low and well, they because the human condition is one which requires you to be busy exactly. and to see people and I mean that day Monday after we finished the show and we went downstairs and we met people, some of whom had come to see us because they wanted to meet us. Just people walking around, big smiles on their faces, yeah. all the people working because they were back working. Yeah, you know? exactly that. We exactly need to that. do that. You can't just sit around at home all day. But we have to also just really take time to look at lockdown collateral damage. We've got to stop just pushing it under the mm. carpet. I'm not. I'm not a statistician. I, I. I just know what I know and what I'm going through in my family with yeah. with my mother-in-law, with my children, yeah. with my life. Right. And if it's affecting me in this way, then it must be affecting many others in this way. Of and it we. Is. But I'm not allowed to have this conversation. I keep yeah. getting called names by, by people when I try to mention it. Like. Yeah. I, that I don't acknowledge that we've had a horrible virus called COVID. Yes, of course. And, you know, just block all these horrible, nasty people is, would be my advice and just carry on doing what you're doing. I mean, luckily, you're a very robust individual. I you're am probably robust. not as robust as you look. None of us are, you know, because we've all had moments yeah. at times where you've just thought, you know, what am I going to do? How is this working? You know. Well, we all have that. I mean, I know because I was speaking to all these lovely women on the on the march and um, we were exchanging stories. And that was what's so lovely, meeting like minded people yeah. and saying things like that. We've all during this period woken up with 
panic attacks at night, not being able to sleep, not being able to breathe, because mm. you don't really understand what's going on, right. because things don't seem to add up very well. The, the, the response is so disproportionate to the illness. Mm. And we're thinking, well, why is this happening? And, and I can understand nobody knew what they were doing initially. Yeah. But now we know more. We and know now is more. the time to stop all lockdown and also restrictions. And we have a vaccine now. And we have a vaccine now for all of those that feel vulnerable and all of those that might die from COVID. We have this wonderful vaccine. Good luck to them. Take it. Or yeah. If you feel, but again, this should be something that's your choice. Yeah. I've had COVID. My family have had COVID. You know, I'm, I'm going to think about taking the vaccine. I'm going to wait and see. I don't like the pushing. Right. I don't like the, the kind of nudging all the time. And also you shouldn't have to. I mean, all these people who advocate it will say, you need to protect me. And it's like, well, if you've had it, why does she need to protect you? I mean, if I've had it, why do you need to have it? Well, I'm it's full of antibodies. Yeah. I'm full of antibodies. So I'm, I'm curious to know what extra antibodies of the virus, because I had my t- test of well, antibodies, ex- what of extra, uh, the vaccine will do. It's in- it's interesting, but I'm I'm open to listen to, to all the conversations mm. about it. But the main thing is, is there is no reason to be in lockdown. There is no reason for restaurants not to be open. I mean, I right. went shopping yes. on Monday after I saw you. Right. I went shopping and I was you know, bumping shoulder to shoulder to all these people and all these different Shops are f- outlets. Shops chock full of people, aren't They're they? They're chock full of people, but we can't have people sit down yeah. in the restaurant. I was on the tube What's this morning about? and it's standing room only again. Yeah. You know, for a while it was quite quite yeah. empty, but it's not empty anymore nope. because people have to go back to work. Yeah. And the people who can't work from home are the, uh, you know, to me, the engine room of this country. It's all very well having, you know, sort of all these middle class consultant types sitting at home in their shorts with their laptops and, you know, having yeah. lattes whenever they feel like it. They don't run the country thankfully yeah you know the people who run the country the people who have to go to work the people who are making the food the people who are serving the drinks the people who are driving the trains you know those are the real people but the loudest voices that are pro lockdown are the people that have not been touched by it right. financially at all all the mps for a start exactly you know they're still claiming expenses even they're not going anywhere yeah it's how does that work it's very wrong isn't it, it? really it's is really wrong but just to take it back to the whole human aspect mm. here because i'm i really have to fight for everyone that turned up at that march yes, yes on saturday um there was such goodwill. I thought uh, the only press was much later, after 6.30, when most people have just gone home. Yeah. And I don't know what happened in Hyde Park. I was at home then. I don't well, know I've what Well, I've seen footage of what happened in Hyde Park, and it certainly seems as though the police steamed in to what looked like a relatively peaceful gathering where people were playing music, and it was after the march had finished. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not having to go at the police because I wasn't there. But it looks as though it could have been avoided, let's it put it that way. sounds like it. And it sounds like they needed an excuse to report something because, mm. well, you know, all these political shows that are on um, on Sunday mornings, for example, after the Saturday march, not one of them mentioned it. No. no and, but they mentioned every other march. Now, that is sinister to me. It is. It doesn't make sense to me. Right. Why? Why are they doing that? Why are they not well, as mentioning a everybody? You know, as a journalist, you know, people will accuse me of being one way or another, but I'm not actually. I will cover pretty much everything that goes on. You do. I'll talk about everything yeah. that goes on. I'll have a view on it. Yeah. You might not like my view on it. It, but I won't not report it and pretend it didn't happen. Well, that's what's going on. And yeah. that's what I find really worrying because yeah. I love Britain. I yeah. love being British. I love this country. You know, I, I love the freedoms of it. And I love the way that we are so integral to everybody and everybody mixes. And I, it's a great country. But this year, this COVID time has made me think, this isn't the country I know because no. I feel like I'm in some other kind of stassy state because, mm. like we said, news reporting that's, you know, you've got, in my estimates, I don't know if I'm right, but 500,000 people, half a million people marching through the streets of London and it's not on any of the news. It's no. not on, and it's not commentated the next day in political shows. It's a political thing. People were walking right. to make a statement about their freedom and yet 
all the political shows on Sunday morning felt that there was no need to mention it. I know. That's worrying. It is. And it's staggeringly hopeless, I would say. But there we are. Tonya, great to see you again. Lovely to Thank see you. Thank you so much for coming in. My and pleasure. Good luck. Um, you're opening up uh, a lot of the restaurants now, yes, pretty much. So, we are. And you must be looking forward to May the 17th. I cannot can wait to open. Get people back inside. What happens then? Are we back inside like we were sort of in um, December? Uh, where you've got spaces or are you back inside properly? I, I, I don't know. It, you know, it flips and changes yeah. all the time. I feel sorry for every single restaurateur because then we have to get plastic sheets in between mm. and do all this stuff. And it's just all a load of rubbish. Mm. It's just got to stop. They've got to lift all the lockdown measures now. We don't have the cases here now, thankfully, because of the vaccine, because of it's kind of run its course. Yeah. We have a herd immunity now. Let's just get on with living now and put all our energy and all our money that the government has wasted with tracing and testing and all of that, that's got to stop. Put it back into the growth of the country. Absolutely right. Tony Buxton, thank you so much. Thank you. It's lovely chef, consultant at the Real Greek Restaurants. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.